was in a conversation the other day, and I said the phrase, I've got my fingers in a lot of pies. You were really busy. But as I said it, I'd never thought about it before, and as I said it, I thought... That's actually a that's a pretty disgusting image because your hands are messy and you've ruined potentially ten pies, multiple pies. We should talk to a pie baker about this. Hello, this is Paula. Hey, Paula, this is uh, Ian from How to Do Everything. How are you? Paula good, Haney you? is a pie baker here in Chicago. She works at Who's Your Mama Pie Shop. Paula, can you just tell us what is the maximum number of actual pies you have your fingers in at any given moment? <laughs> really, only one. Right. So when you're making pies, though, is it really you're just making the one pie at a time? Uh, we can do, we may, if we're simply say an apple pie, we may have our big batch of apples already and maybe, you know, six to 12 shells, empty shells out on the table, and we'll go and fill each one of those. So I guess that would be kind of like having your fingers in a lot of pies. You have your, you have your fingers in the materials that will make six to 12 pies. Well, as someone who, um, you know, much of your life is is around pies, and I guess professional life is about pies, do you use that phrase, I've got my fingers in a lot of pies? We don't. And, you know, we never, ever say easy as pie either. Oh, Oh. really? In fact, that will get you kicked out of the kitchen. (laughs) You You spend 17 hours a day making pie and then have one just be like, ah, it's easy as pie not a good thing. Well, have you ever heard somebody say that uh, in public or a stranger say it and then you want to jump up and correct them? Oh, I always want to jump up and correct them, but I don't because that would make me the crazy lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. So should we say when something's really challenging, should we say it's as difficult as pie? That would be great. If you could could kind of make that a catchphrase, we would love that. All right. We'll try that. When you're eating, where do you put the pie? Where do we put it? Yeah, when you're eating it, where do you put it? <laughs> you want me to say pie hole. Do, we, do you say pie hole? We don't say pie hole. KFC or Kentucky Fried Chicken is suing three companies who claim that KFC is creating a super chicken with eight legs and six wings. Now, Kentucky Fried Chicken says this isn't true, but the the question, I think, is, if such a bird existed, what would it be called? Roger Letterer is an ornithologist, and he and his wife, Carol Burr, wrote Latin for bird lovers. So, Roger, what should we call this mythical Kentucky superbird? Well, there's different ways to, uh, to uh, describe it. One would be to give it a real descriptive name and say, uh, what, what did you say, six wings and eight legs would be uh, hexa, hexaella, which is six wings, and octopoda. So it would be gallus hexaella octopoda. Wow. The way to describe it. Another way to do it is simply, because it's such a weird bird, call it gallus, which, means, which is Latin for chicken. Gallus ridiculum is another one. <laughs> Ridiculous bird. The third way to do it is name it after somebody like Gallus Sanderi after <laughs> Oh, yeah. And a fourth way is where it was found or where it was developed. So it'd be Gallus Kentuckii. So I, I imagine if this uh, freak chicken existed, it would be the, the strangest bird name that you had encountered. Is that probably all right? Oh, I don't know. There's a lot of other very odd ones. Um, um, some of them I just couldn't figure out, you know, where they came from. I guess the oddest one was, and I don't remember the genus name, but the species name was Imperfecta. And I could not figure out 
why it was named Imperfecta. Why would you name a bird imperfect? But, but what was it imperfect? So it took me, oh, I don't know, hours and hours, maybe days of searching. I finally found a paper in the 1800s that had named the bird. And at that time, they would shoot birds, and then they'd, you know, uh, put them on a table, then they'd describe them. Well, this one was shot so badly, it was all in pieces, so they named it Imperfect. <laughs> That's hardly the bird's fault. No, it's not the bird's fault at all. Are there any other bird names out there that uh, contend with Imperfecta? Yeah, my favorite one is the hoopoe. A hoopoe sort of a woodpecker-like bird. It's a really cool bird. You can see them in southern Europe and Africa. I've seen They're fairly common, very clown-like looking things. And it's called a hoopoe after it's called a hoopoe. And the, the genus name is Eupupa. And its scientific name is Epops, which is Greek for hoopoe. So its scientific name is Eupupa Epops. <laughs> but it's... even more than that, it also has its own order, Eupupa formis, and its family, Eupupidae. So it <laughs> comes out, Eupupa formis, Eupupidae, Eupupa Epops, the hoopoe. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a joke. Yeah, it sounds like a joke, but it's also a very cool bird. Can can you tell me about the the robin where where that name comes from? There's a European robin and a an American robin, and it used to be just robin and robin, but they've made them European and and uh, um, American. But they've called for years. They've called them um, robin redbreast. Now, if you look at them close, both of them, they really have an orange breast. Yeah. If you look at you know women in our society have red hair. It's not really red hair, except for maybe a few you know movie actresses. Uh, it's orange. Yeah. In the 1600s, when they first named these birds, you know, robin redbreast, there was no word for orange. So they called it red because that was the closest they could come to. So they didn't have the word orange back then, but if if they had, we might know it as as robin orangebreast. Exactly. And orange-haired. Orange-haired people and all sorts of other stuff. Wow. Are there, um, in the process of of writing this book, are there names of of birds you learned that, um, in learning the name, it sort of changed your understanding of the animal itself? Two or three hundred years ago, people didn't have very good binoculars, so they described things, you know, at a distance. And now that we know a lot more about them, especially we know a lot more about DNA, you can describe birds in a very different way. Well, one of the things we discovered was that storks, storks, for instance, are much more closely related to vultures than they are to, like, cranes, things that they look like. Really? That really changes your opinion of storks. They're not... Exactly, exactly. You think of storks as, uh, oh, you know, bringing babies. But right. They... Actually, though, you know, storks do things. They have a bald head like vultures do. Storks will go out and they'll kill baby flamingos and eat them and those kinds of things. You know, rather, rather uh, ugly creatures. And I've seen storks in Africa digging their heads in, in dumpsters and so on, just like oh. But still, Roger, if, if presented with a baby in a little hanky, you know, <laughs> what is the stork, it sounds like it's more likely to eat that baby than it is to deliver it. I think the babies are too big, actually. They probably wouldn't go for them. Oh, that's, well, that's good. Are, are there any other favorite bird names that you want to tell us about? Uh, let's see. What is, well, about the albatross. You know, albatross, uh, big wing flying birds, and uh, that's where Alcatraz came from. Really? Yeah, the Alcatraz was just a mispronunciation of albatross. And what they do, <laughs> actually, the uh, whoever first discovered Alcatraz thought the pelicans were albatrosses, and they named them Alcatraz. I guess that's sort of Spanish. Yeah. So 
albatross becomes Alcatraz based on the pelicans. Let, let me just ask you one more thing. Would you describe um, the, the process of uh, learning all the different Latin names for, for birds? Um, would you say that is difficult as pie? Uh, yeah, it depends on how you go about it. Yeah, it's difficult. Well, Roger, thank you so much for talking to us about birds. Well, thank you. It was nice to talk to you. Appreciate it. Now it's the part of our program where we talk about our sponsors. And this episode is sponsored by Ardio, a digital music service announcing Ardio Select, a new subscription plan for mobile users combining ad-free online stations and offline listening. Seems weird that we're reading a spot for... Oh, it's a competitor. Someone could choose. Right. It sounds like someone should choose to listen to this instead of how to do everything. Well, with Ardio Select, Ian, you can hear endless stations powered by over 35 million songs and download your choice of 25 songs to listen to offline. It may be that even by reading this announcement, we are digging our own graves. You can listen on mobile and other devices. Learn more about Ardio Select at rdio.com slash select. You won't find us there, though. No. Unless we're one of your 25 songs. We'll be out on the street. Support also comes from Westland Distillery. Westland Distillery makes whiskey, which is a drink you drink if you're old enough to drink that drink. That age is 21. Whiskey is made, all whiskey is made from four ingredients. Malted barley, water, yeast, and that feeling you get mm, the day after your birthday. Oak. The other fourth ingredient is oak. And so even though all whiskeys are made with those four same ingredients, they're probably made with the same equipment, each whiskey tastes differently. It has its own distinct flavor. And we're told it's a good flavor. To learn more about Westland Distillery, go to westlanddistillery.com. It's uniquely American, like a snowflake. Or like George Clooney. He's very handsome an eagle in a baseball uniform. What position is he playing? Shortbird. Hey guys, I was listening to How to Stop Someone from Sneezing by maybe saying grapefruit and what my mom does is just shout bless you over and over again until you start laughing and then the sneeze goes away. Hope that helps. Now, if you've been listening to this show for the past month or so, you know that we've just completed our exclamation point fast. We went 30 days without using a single exclamation point. How did you do? I made it. Did you really? Yeah. Uh, and now that it's over, I'm using too many. I, I do feel a great sense of freedom now that it's done. And I have had people say to me, I see you're, you're using exclamation points again. Are they, are they happy for you? It was my wife, mm -hmm. and yes. She thought maybe for the last month you didn't love her anymore. There are some other things going on, but I do think that that's possible that that's what was happening. You uh, out there, you may still be uh, going through your exclamation point fast. We want to encourage you. You can make it. I want to make clear we had exclamation points at the end of every sentence just now. You can hear them. I know you can. Yeah. You know what? We'll I'll, I'll go back and put in a sound effect. We heard from Joan. Joan says she listens to How to Do Everything while hanging out with animals in the barnyard. Uh, her pig, Doink, is a, a big fan of the show. Joan and Doink, these next 15 seconds are for you. Hey, Doink, I, we've never actually met, but uh, 
I'm hoping, I think we're probably, I speak for both of us, I think we're both hoping that when you do make noise, that, that you're a pig that makes a doink sound. I'm, I'm a little worried, actually. Maybe the D is silent, and the name of the pig is not doink, but oink. Oink, I'm very sorry. We, we don't speak pig. No. My wife can't feed them and my neighbors don't care. They can't get out and roam around like my old hunting dogs. Here I am in this dang bed and who's gonna feed them hogs? Fa- that does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? I learned that baking pies is not easy. In no. fact, you will really insult bakers if you assume that it is. Maybe easy as pie is always referred to the number pie, which is pretty easy to remember to, I know it to one digit. Three. Well, two digits, 3.1. I memorized it. That's it. Just got 3.1. What more do you need? I learned that uh, the, the word orange, our, you know, our, our ability to articulate that color uh, is a relatively recent phenomenon. I find that, I mean, that does seem hard to believe, that they just called everything red. Yeah. Like that. Would you like an apple? Mm, no, I'll have one of those reds it's instead. like comparing apples to reds. Yeah. And in the 1500s at the mall, would you go to a red Julius? What would you call Carrot Top? Probably call him Scott. How to Do Everything is produced. Technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Annabelle Wells. Who actually knows how to do everything. Congratulations, Annabelle. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Did you know this is our 200th episode? Hmm. Do you want to go do something later? Nah. Uh.